All human beings, you probably have heard by now, have an unconscious. We are not entirely conscious beings aware of everything we do. Part of the mind, of course, is conscious. It has what Michael Gazaniga has referred to as the interpreter. The ability to create narratives that can represent lived experience, try to make sense of what happened. We can even create hypothetical solutions to dilemmas we're in. So if we're in a struggle with someone, we can visualize that person, visualize ourselves saying things to them, and then knowing a bit about them and our expectations, we can construct how they might respond. You use the interpreter all the time. It's what gives us a sense of, uh, one, being able to make sense of life, control, it even provides the feeling of an ongoing sense of self or identity that makes a thematic unity of who we are or how we respond or how we feel and think throughout the entirety of our lives. So we have these conscious parts where we can make volitional actions and think and represent the world in our minds. I hope you're aware of that because you've been using it for quite a while. Now, you also have unconscious processes. While consciousness is largely in adult life situated in the left hemisphere, you also have various parts of the brain that operate processes entirely out of your conscious awareness or supervision. For example, you can probably walk down the street and think, about what you're going to do for dinner and not be aware of every footstep you take or every time you sidestep something on the ground. You are constantly walking, showering, standing up, sitting down, chewing, doing all hosts of mechanical operations, largely employing the basal ganglia and other parts of the medulla which are supervising the activity without you being aware of it. At one point, you might have been aware of every time you, you tied a shoelace, but eventually in the course of life, those operations become completely uh, hardwired, and you no longer need to oversee them. So they're done out of your operation. I wasn't aware when I tied my shoelaces this morning. In fact, I didn't because my boots have zippers, but that's a <laughs> detail. If I did tie my shoes, I wouldn't have been aware of the, the processes because it would have been handled by a largely mechanistic part of the brain where I don't have to oversee everything. It's sort of like a supervisor on a job site. The supervisor is only aware of a very, very small amount of the functions going on. That's your consciousness. The rest of the functions, like the lifting of the uh, building supplies and the movement of the elevators and stuff like that, the, the building supervisor, like I know what the hell I'm talking is not aware of everything, just the most important things that are novel, the new problems, that's what consciousness is aware of. This is known as the global workspace theory of consciousness. So there's another part of unconsciousness that's very, very important for us to understand if we are to address our suffering as adults. This is what is known as triggers. Triggers are... What happens when in early life, 
we have a, an experience where we feel deeply let down by our caregivers or by the adults around us, and we face a threatening situation, and we don't have the resources available for us to fully safely feel the emotion, process the emotion, and with the help of an adult, manage how to respond. In those childhood situations where we're suddenly alone and a dog barks or we feel abandoned by a parent or a parent shames us or there's some kind of negative interpersonal experience, the emotions for a child are so great and the flooding of neurotransmitters and hormones such as cortisol and adrenaline are, and acetylcholine are so strong that the emotions are cut off. The fear becomes so great that the person essentially goes into fight-flight-freeze, survival responses, which cuts off awareness of the body and the emotions and just tries to survive at all costs. So the child screams, it dissociates, and then it shuts down. It might run for the hills. It might suddenly start wailing and attack. It goes into fight-flight-freeze. So these times when emotions, instead of being fully felt, processed, where a parent helps the child say, okay, you're frightened by the dog, let's stand here, let's be with the dog, let's very slowly move up to it, where the parent helps the child soothe the emotion and helps the child assign a good behavior to resolve the emotion, if the emotion is instead cut off by a fight or flight or freeze uh, response where cortisol and adrenaline and acetylcholine overwhelm any conscious supervision, then what is created is a trigger. A trigger is essentially what could be thought of as an emotional landmine, where in the future, if you're in any situation which later on in life reminds you of that traumatic event, you will suddenly no longer be aware of the fact that you're an adult with all of the resources you have, and you will do what's called regrets. You will slide back to an earlier stage of development. And note that when I say you, I'm talking about me as well, because you is the global you, not you as individuals. I do this too all the time. When an emotion was not fully resolved, when it was cut off, that emotion and that situation becomes tagged as unsafe. And the adult encountering that same emotion will generally regress to feeling a greater degree of fear than necessary and will respond in a, a heightened state of alert and they will not know all of the different behaviors that are at their disposal. They will generally regress to the same behaviors that they used as a child to survive. So sometimes when we're with an adult and we're talking reasonably and then something triggers them and suddenly they start becoming angrier and angrier and they're red in the face and they're shouting, because what's happened is, unfortunately, we have triggered that childhood situation where they felt you know, unsafe, where they felt their parents no longer listened to them, where they felt abandoned by their parents. And so they become outsized, they become far threatened, and they start 
reacting as if they're in that childhood situation again. Consciously, they might still be aware that they're a 42-year-old adult, but emotionally and behaviorally, they are now act being controlled by automatic fight, flight, freeze activations. Um, my father was a rageaholic. He, at times, was a very fun, let's go out to play, catch, let's do something together. Other times he was a screaming drunk being hauled away by the police or beating up my mom or dragging me out of bed in the middle of the night to scream at me and say really upsetting things. So, as a result, because these a lot of those emotional situations were for a long time not resolved, I have, or certainly uh, before I went to therapy for 10 years, uh, I had many triggers, especially with men, where men could come and talk to me and I would immediately get defensive. I would immediately, my body would tighten, so I'd already go into the defended uh, state where I'm limiting my responses just there. And I'm cutting off any, I'm not even looking anymore. I'm just like, I'm not going to like what you're going to say. And so, or, um, um, before they even said a word, the interactions would go south. They wouldn't be turn out very well. Um, even with my teacher, Noah, uh, Noah is a macho guy. And just like my dad, when I was young, would call up out of the blue and say things that were deeply upsetting and sometimes insulting, uh, Noah would once in a while call up out of the blue. And before I would answer the phone, my entire body would go into, this is not going to be good, this is going to be, he's going to be confrontational, aggressive, he's going to want something from me. I, my breath would heighten, I'd go into the body of me with my father, the defended Josh, and then everything I hear would be through the filter of, Noah wants something for me. Most of the time it would be Noah going, hey, I'm going to be in the city, you want to hang out? I'd be like, what do you want? What do you mean by that? <laughs> so, we all have times where we find ourselves suddenly needing to leave a situation, suddenly feeling attacked or criticized, suddenly feeling abandoned. The things that generally in childhood leave emotional landmines or triggers are the times we're ignored, criticized, abandoned, threatened, uh, disappointed. We receive a suddenly very angry look or a disapproving look. All of those situations for a child who depends for their dear life on their relationship with their caregiver can leave emotional landmines or triggers in place. And then when we're in a situation that activates those triggers, we will start to regress. We'll go into the body of someone who's being unfairly treated. We won't actually hear anymore what's going on. We'll listen to what's being said to us through the filter of the attack, of the abandon. So, in adult life, we develop a whole host of compulsive and obsessive behaviors compulsive behaviors, obsessive ideations that we rely on when we are triggered. Um, all of these strategies 
have something in common, which is they immediately get rid of the emotion. They cut off the emotion. They cut off the, the overwhelming feeling of fear, or rage, abandonment, disappointment. And they put us in a completely different state of being where we feel safer because we're now in a fight, flight, or shut down, or some kind of reactive state, or we're just getting rid of the experience altogether. Compulsive behaviors such as drugs, drink, eating compulsively, shopping compulsively, uh, compulsive sex, compulsive gambling, all these things do is when we feel suddenly abandoned from really lonely, really cut off, uh, really unappreciated, they get rid of the emotional state that's been activated by flooding the brain with dopamine. That's what all of those things have in common. So what you're doing is you're saying, I don't want to feel the completion, the fullness of this emotion. I want to get rid of it. And whenever we cut off the emotion, we keep the trigger in place. We don't address it. So we're not addressing anything. We're simply saying, I cannot be with this emotion. I want to get rid of it. Because I'm lonely, I need to go on Facebook. I need to uh, uh, purchase something on Amazon. I need to uh, binge on um, Netflix. I need to immediately text someone. I need to do something that will relieve, release dopamine so I will not feel the release of cortisol, fear, the tightness of my body, the tightness in my belly, the somatic state of me returning to Josh when he was 12 years old or 6 years old. The inner child I don't want to feel. I want to push the inner child down, all those feelings, and I want to get rid of the inner child. I just want to have it all go away. Obsessive ideations are very, very similar, but they work in a slightly different way. When we feel fear, when we feel alone, many people, instead of resorting to compulsive behaviors, resort to obsessive ideations, which are thought spirals where we cut off awareness of the emotion, which is largely in the body, because that's where emotions express themselves, by going into catastrophizing thoughts, where we play out in our head how bad everything will be. It's all going to go to shit, or I have to work all my life because I, don't, I won't have enough to survive, or uh, nobody loves me, so I have to... Uh, make sure I do everything right and I can't ever submit or make a mistake ever again. I have to make sure that everything I do is perfect. Whatever kind of thought spiral we go into, it's there to do the exact same thing as compulsive binging on food, sex, drugs. It's to get rid of awareness of the somatic experience of fear or loneliness or sadness or grief or despair. Whether we're using drugs to create the release dopamine to remove the body, or we're using thoughts as what Winnicott called a false self-refuge from the somatic experience of emotions, the underlying structure is the same. I don't want to feel this way. Make it go away now. So what we're doing is we're cutting off the same... We're cutting off the expression of the inner child's fear the same way the inner child did it, by 
going into the first way out of feeling, getting rid of the feelings. When we do that, the triggers remain in place, and generally what happens is um, they turn into feedback loops. What are feedback loops? Feedback loops are when the automatic reactions that we have to make the emotions go away start actually triggering the emotions so we get caught in a loop. Let me give you an example of how that looks. Someone who every time they are lonely drinks starts getting drunk. When they get drunk they take actions that sabotage their relationships or they tend to gravitate towards isolation. The isolation means they feel more lonely which means they drink more, which means they wind up in an even more antisocial place, which means they're even more lonely, which means they drink more. The process speeds up until the feedback loop crashes in on itself and the person bottoms out and they have the decompensation experience and they fall apart. This happens more frequently than you could possibly imagine. People will, for, all, for instance, when they feel untaken care of, abandoned by families or by people that they believe care about them, they feel insecure because they don't have connection with the love. They feel insecure, which they address by working harder. They believe, if I work, I'll get esteem, I'll feel better about myself, I'll have more money, I'll address the feelings of insecurity. But what working longer and harder does is even further disconnect them from loved ones. So pretty soon, they're getting more and more again disconnected. All feedback mechanisms have one thing in common. They disconnect us. They lead towards isolation. All addictions lead away from connecting with secure people for emotional disclosure and mirroring, and in fact try to substitute behaviors for connecting with other people. An adult coping strategy always starts with two processes. One, relaxing the body, relaxing the body so that addressing the fear, being with it, holding it, and then relaxing it, learning how to self-soothe, and then connecting with other people so that we can emotionally find other ways to resolve the trigger that we're in. We always need those two things, right? We cannot get around connecting and self-soothing. That's the key to eventually uh, addressing all of our landmines. So the corrective emotional response teaches us to, one, pause, to not, uh, to not follow through with the automatic, ingrained, compulsive behavior, whether it's eating the donut, whether it's smoking the cigarette, whether it's jumping on Amazon, whether it's going on Tinder, whether it's going on Grindr, whether it's going on whatever, uh, whatever it is we go on, we insert a pause. Now, at the very beginning of when we address 
maladaptive coping strategies, what we need to do is insert a short pause, because if you try to just not use your coping behaviors, your maladaptive coping behaviors, which you've relied on to uh, get rid of overwhelming emotions, you'll probably be re-traumatized, or you'll go through so much stress that it will feel better just giving in and eating the donut than doing the work. So we need to start out small and start out with very reasonable increments. So, for instance, suppose you have someone, I'll give you a complete example of this scenario. Suppose you have someone who feels a bit disconnected from, uh, uh, they're out of a relationship, they come home after work, they feel lonely, they feel disconnected from their family, and so they binge eat uh, cookies or crackers or something, which creates the feeling of being loved. Because when they were young, when they felt lonely, they would alleviate that feeling by doing what their mother would do when they were well taken care of, which is be fed. So they eat to get rid of the feeling of loneliness and disconnection. So that's a compulsive behavior in a nutshell. What we want to do with this person is we want to say, well, before we're going to do even the real work of addressing the emotion, first what we want to do is have you stop and insert a one-minute pause before you go and eat the cookie. And we want you to sit there and we want you to first feel what it's like to be lonely and what it's what it feels like to want to eat those cookies really badly. And we sit there and we feel that. Where do you feel that first in the breath? Is the breath, when you want that cookie, is the breath really fast or hollow? Is it, you know, shallow? Or, you know, is the out-breath cut off? Is the belly tight? Or is the chest contracted? Or are the shoulders taut and up by your ears? Or is your jaw locked? Or do you feel your uh, forehead locked, or do you feel your body slouching? What is the body of being in somebody who wants to uh, eat the cookie because they're lonely? What is the body of somebody who needs to eat the donut before they go to work? What is the body of someone who every week has to buy something they can't afford to feel rewarded in life? What is the body of someone who needs to go on Tinder or text to feel connected with other people. We insert the pause and we feel into the somatic experience, the embodied state of that's been activated. Most of us, when we were children, because we we're in our right hemisphere in early life, and embodied feelings for children feel overwhelming. So we couldn't do this. But as adults, we can actually learn to hold the physiological expression of painful emotions if we do a couple of things. One, we have to stop the process of adding thought, which will be catastrophizing. We have to pull all of the awareness away from the thinking and just pay attention to the somatic expression of those emotions. And then two, we soften everything around those emotions. So we might start with relaxing, the, if the shoulders aren't taut, if we're feeling all of the, the anger of being mistreated, we're feeling it all in our jaw and all in our, our, our arms 
them all in our chest, then we start by relaxing everything around it. We relax the belly, soften the belly. We soften the forehead. We soften the micro-muscles around the eyes. We don't go into the strong physiological sensations of the emotions at first. We just relax around it. And then we gradually breathe into the emotions and we begin to nurture them. We say, it's okay to ourselves. It's okay. I'm allowed to feel this way. I'm allowed to be angry. I'm allowed to feel lonely. I'm allowed to feel disappointed. I'm allowed to feel let down. I'm allowed to feel frustrated. I'm allowed to feel sad. Whatever it is, we nurture it. And then finally, we can either, as a reparent ourselves and say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to do something we love doing. We're not going to respond by writing an angry email or cutting off that relationship or, you know, eating the cookie. We're going to go outside for a walk. And then after we go outside for a walk, we're going to call up a good friend. And then we're going to sit by the water if it's not freezing. Uh, we're, going to, we're going to do yoga. We're going to do something that makes us feel good in the long term. To all of the short-term compulsive obsessive behaviors work immediately, but for a very brief period. They make the emotions go away for about a half hour. That's how long dopamine lasts. You can probably stay in a fantasy of catastrophizing or some, some compensatory fantasy for a little while, but eventually the somatic expression of the emotions will break through your awareness because your right hemisphere is very strong, and it will eventually pull your awareness away from the thinking back to the fact that you're feeling unsafe. And so if you try to avoid emotions, it won't work. The only way to relieve and address our landmines is by paying attention to them, creating a safe container for emotions, which means not trying to get rid of the inner child, and by inner child, I mean the feelings that arise in the body that are linked to early years where we didn't get our needs met. All those cut-off emotional experiences where we weren't safe. We connect with that inner child. We soften around it. We speak to it in very gentle, simple terms. And then we show that inner child other approaches to addressing our needs that are long-term solutions. Now, of course, we can, if we want, just after doing the first few steps of holding the emotions and being with them, we could also just call up a friend and talk about the emotion that we're feeling. And the friend could say, oh, well, why don't you try doing this instead of, you know, going on Amazon or eating the cookies or smoking the cigarettes or getting drunk. You might want to try this behavior first. But the key is always to return to the emotion that was cut off prematurely in childhood and create a safe container where that emotion can be fully allow itself to resolve. That is the only way we can assign early cut off triggers to new adult coping strategies. If we continually cut off the emotions when they arise with fast acting solutions, we will never address our landmines, and we will continue to be triggered over and over and over and over again. We will continue to chase after unavailable people. We will continue to 
be defensive in situations where we're not being attacked. We will continue to avoid conflictual situations rather than address them because we, we will be governed by all of those landmines that we haven't bothered to dismantle. So that's basically the gist. I'm going to actually lead us through a meditation that will show us how to do that. I should also mention before I start the uh, meditation that Another strategy that adults use is what's known as self-reliant coping strategies. Self-reliant coping strategies is where we deflect attention from the emotion that's been activated and we do a task or a routine that's familiar with to refocus away. So some people, when they go through a traumatic loss or they get a bad diagnosis, they immediately go back to work so that they don't have to feel the feelings. So that's another strategy that people sometimes use to cut off, to continually cut off the emotions. Our practice as adult people who are seeking growth in our life is to learn how to reconnect with the wounded child and to create a safe container where that child can be nurtured and can be with you shown different solutions. So, finding a really comfortable seated position for this practice. So we'll start with a few breaths and just a basic settling practice. So uh, take a nice full in-breath, complete in-breath through the nose and lift up your shoulders like you're trying to touch your ears, if you'd like, you don't have to, if you want to, and then hold in the breath and then breathe out through the mouth and drop the shoulders like they weigh two tons. The second breath, we're going to pull in the belly as taut as we can, as we breathe in through the nose, and then hold it, and then breathe out and soften the belly. Wonderful. And the third breath, we're going to squinch the muscles in the face. Tight, 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 tight. Hold them tight, and then breathe out through the mouth, and then take a survey of the body, starting from either the bottom, to the bottom of your feet, to the top of your head, or vice versa, and just like a scanner, scan down through the body and notice if there's anything right now that you can address to make more comfortable. So this is a compassion scanner, and it's going to adjust and alleviate anything that feels uncomfortable or tight. This is the start of connecting with that inner awareness that's kind and compassionate and caring 
and uh, wants nothing but you to be happy and at peace. Any clothes you need to adjust, if there's anything about your way your legs are folded, if there's anything about your hands that you like, just be really indulgent. And we're now in an awareness that has absolutely no shred of self-criticism, not one ounce of self-judgment, not even a speck of impatience. This is an awareness that is nothing but the most tolerant, caring, loving, like the awareness that you would have if you saw a beautiful little kitten or dog that you wanted to take care of and it's now taking care of you. So for a little while let's just sit with the present moment and You can either use the sensations of the breath in the body or the sensations of the uh, contact that the body is making with the world around us. So feeling the contact of yourself sitting on a cushion, the contact of clothes, the feeling of air entering, exiting through the nostrils, or the feeling of light, or not feeling, but the impression of light behind closed eyelids, and the sounds drifting up from the street, from the room. You can also use a metaphrase, breathing in, think something like, may I feel peaceful, or at ease, breathing out, may all beings feel peaceful, may all beings feel at ease, or breathing in, may I feel happy, love, breathing out, may all beings feel happy and love. Don't use those words. Use words that mean and resonate in your heart, in your body, in your mind, in a way that's authentic.
So this morning we're going to start the exercise. I'd like you to bring to mind the situation in life. If it's happened recently, it'll be perhaps easier to conjure in your mind. But visualize a situation wherein you find yourself being driven to act in a automatic or ingrained or in some way compulsive manner. The times where we feel a need to either consume something or perhaps run from a situation or the times where we start to obsessively worry, plan, figure out. The situations where we feel triggered and just bring to mind one, hopefully something that you can really clearly visualize the details of so that you can place yourself in that situation in your seat right now. Perhaps talking with someone who's not listening or a situation in which you're alone and feeling disconnected, unloved, abandoned, not cared for. Just try to conjure up something for the purposes of this exercise. Don't play out the entire experience. Just create the setting in your mind. So see where the room you're in or the environment you're in, see what's around you, but don't play through the entire experience. Just have the visual triggers in place, and then ask yourself, how does it feel? How does it feel to be alone, not heard, mistreated, overwhelmed? And see if you can just be really tender and you're asking, you're really interested in how this feels. And we want to see if we can connect with even the smallest expression of what we would call the inner child, the feeling of woundedness, feeling of not being cared for, the overwhelmed, frightened child. And as soon as you can feel even something slight, the slightest contraction in the shoulders, the slightest tightness in the belly, a sadness around the eyes, or if we're thinking of something that makes us angry, the locking of the jaw, just bring your attention to those sensations and don't try to get rid of them. Try to be with the emotion and just investigate the feeling. Be with, create a safe space for this 
old feeling that desperately wants our attention to be felt, not needing to get rid of anything, not needing, needing to destroy, push out of awareness, but instead turning fully to face whatever emotion needs to be felt. If it's our sadness, our grief, the loss of a relationship, the loss of safety, the loss of a friend, whatever it needs to be felt, just create a safe space and don't judge it. Don't try to remove it. Reassure this feeling that it's okay, it's allowed to feel scared, angry, disappointed. Nothing but appreciation for this child that simply wants to get rid of or run away. And nothing but appreciation for the parts of ourselves that just want to push away the child that can't be with the feeling that wants to get rid of this fear, this sadness, this loneliness by drinking, eating. We have the wounded child and the addicted part of ourselves that just doesn't want to feel anything. And both parts we need to feel compassion and care. But now we're, as the adult, we're going to reassure ourselves that there are other ways that we're safe, there are other ways we can handle this situation. So at this point, really breathe and soften the body. Not trying to get rid of any emotion, but just soften and regulate the emotion to a place where it's more comfortable to be with. At this point, you have actually activated those many different regions of the brain. And so visualize for this part of ourself that doesn't know all the solutions that are available to it, this frightened part of ourselves, this lonely, this abandoned part of ourselves. Visualize something that you love doing, that you feel good about. Drawing, singing, dancing, gardening, knitting, yoga, baking, anything you love doing, show this part of yourself that feels so lonely and cut off, all the things that we could do.
And now finally, visualize yourself as a child, any age you want, but a time that you associate with abandonment, not getting your needs met, being cut off from someone you love, being disappointed by a caregiver. Some point in your childhood when you needed love the most and it wasn't available, visualize yourself standing with this younger version of yourself together. Now with this younger version of yourself, you're by the water. Could be the Hudson or the East River, doesn't matter. You're standing there with this younger, frightened version of yourself, and you allowed this inner child to write on a piece of paper some behavior that you're willing to let go of. Food. Shutting down, isolating the need to smoke pot when we feel anxious, the need to drink when we feel self-conscious, the need to isolate when we feel overwhelmed, the need to panic when we are confused, whatever one thing we're willing to start beginning to let go of. You've written on a piece of paper and gently you with the child lowers that paper into the water, lets it go. And now that piece of paper is drifting down south past the financial district, past Governor's Island past the Statue of Liberty and out to sea. So in a moment, we'll open our eyes. And when that time comes, instead of just looking around the room and disconnecting with all of the embodied feelings. See if you can first just look at the ground in front of you and try to integrate light and color into awareness without having it push away awareness of the somatic physiological experience, the felt body. See if you can maintain awareness of how the breath and the feelings in the front of the body face, so that we have a fully well-rounded, mindful awareness rather than just an awareness of thoughts and sight. 